Hello, everyone, and happy But Did They Do It Tuesday. I am your host, McKinley Daw, and today I have two very special guests with me. I have my cousin Mackie and my cousin Camden, because we're at our cabin right now for the 4th of July. So, yeah, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Here, let me pick up the microphone so you can get close and they can hear you. Um, hi, I'm Mackie. Uh, I'm McKinley's favorite cousin, and I'm going to be 14, or I am 14. Actually, start over. Sorry. <laughs> going to be 14 or you are 14 i'm she's gonna be a freshman can we just cut this all out (laughs) no i'm leaving that (laughs) (laughs) she's she's gonna be a freshman in high school but she didn't want to say that because it makes her sound little (laughs) so are you're 14 yeah but you're gonna be 15 in may so i'm 14 not yeah so you got a long time i'm i knew it was just your birthday okay (laughs) (laughs) i know your birthday's may 1st Okay, perfect. I sounded like a bad cousin for a second. Okay, this is Camden, my other cousin. Camden, introduce yourself. Well, first of all, that was really embarrassing for Mackie. <laughs> second, I'm Camden. I'm going to be a junior in high school. Yeah, and she's a baller. And Mackie doesn't like to be put <laughs> in tight game situations. Yeah. I prefer not to be in close games. And yes. One time, Mackie's, <laughs> Mackie got a bloody nose at a basketball game and went out to take care of it. And then when she got back, her dad put her in the game, and then she got mad at him for putting her back in. I needed time to process what just happened, and then I had to go right back in. Was your bloody nose super traumatic? Yes, probably. I still have yet to recover. I wish this were, like, a podcast where we just, just talk about life. <laughs> talk about Mackie's life. The episode would be titled Mackie's Problems. Mackie's Trauma. Part one. <laughs> Part one of like ten. <laughs> Anyways, okay, let me put the microphone back so we can hear all of us. And I don't have to hold it the whole time. I hope you guys are all having an amazing week <laughs> whenever you're listening to this. And I hope you had a happy Fourth of July weekend. Anyways, so today the case that I'm gonna tell you guys about I found from TikTok. Um, I never heard of this case ever in my life, but I was scrolling through TikTok, as one does, and this video came up on my For You page, and it was just a video of this guy who's being held up by two people, and so the judge was like, yeah, you're not guilty, yay, and then there was a little girl in the background, and she was wearing a shirt that said, free my dad, so that was kind of cool. Um, I was intrigued, and so I had to find out the story behind it, so hence this episode. So, this is a case of four teenagers who were walking home from a party, and then a car pulled up, and a man in the backseat started shooting, and in cold blood, killed two innocent teenagers and left two witnesses behind. So, this is a story of the 1993 El Paso shooting. So, obviously, the story takes place in El Paso, Texas, in 1993, So, in 1993, El Paso's population was at around 603,000, so a lot of people, and it's only grown since then. So, contradictory to the story, El Paso is one of the 10 safest cities in the United States. Doesn't really fit our narrative today, but whatever. The Rio Grande River, which is one of the longest rivers in North America, runs through El Paso and creates a natural border between the U.S. and Mexico. Anyway, so there's just a little bit of background on the setting of the story. 
So a little after midnight on April 10th, 1993, four young teenage boys were walking home from a party they attended in Northeast El Paso. Their names were Jesse Hernandez, Juan Medina, Armando Lazo, and Robert England. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just can't think about say Lazo without thinking <laughs> Lazo. <laughs> so Lazo is Cannon and Mackey's cousin? I'm not going to put that in there. But it's Madeline's cat? Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Oh, also, I moved away so they wouldn't hear me chomping on my bread. Oh, thank you for that update. Saving your viewers. Thank you. Okay, so they had reached the intersection of Trans Mountain Road and Electric Street when a car slowly pulled up behind them, but then quickly sped past them shortly after it pulled behind them. According to the two surviving witnesses, the car turned back around and headed toward the group who was just walking down the sidewalk. The car came to a stop next to them, and someone from the back seat started shooting at them. Jesse and Juan immediately started to sprint away, obviously, because they're being shot at. And then Robert was shot once in the head and then immediately died on the street. But Armando started to run away, and he made it about, like, 100 yards up the street before he was shot in the abdomen and the thigh. So Armando's body was found outside of a house just up the street, and the residents of that house called 911. Because there's a guy laying dead outside of their house. So, that's a little weird. Anyways, some nearby witnesses said that they heard a sudden burst of quick gunfire that was about five or six shots. Police found six shell casings in the street. And the two survivors, Jesse and Juan, both stated initially that they couldn't identify the shooter or any details about the car. Though later they did remember that it was either a red or maroon color. Detective Alfonso Marquez led the investigation. Detective Marquez brought Jesse Hernandez in for questioning two days after the shooting on April 12th. And Jesse was once again asked what happened that night. And he told them basically the same thing he told them before, that he couldn't remember a lot, but that the car was either red or maroon. Uh, Detective Marquez became angry with Jesse because Jesse couldn't answer most of his questions. And the detective told him that Juan had already told him that Jesse was the one who shot their friends and that Juan, that Jesse should just be honest and tell him what happened. So nowhere in any material that I found on this case says that Juan Mendina ever said that Jesse was the one who shot Armando and Robert. So this must have just been a really crappy investigative tactic to get him to confess to something he didn't do. And to quickly close the case in a town that is supposedly one of the safest in the country. But the interrogation continued, but Jesse didn't break. He even said later that he was close to confessing to the crime just to get it over with. But he didn't really commit to it. He never confessed. So three days after Jesse's interrogation on April 15th, Detective Marquez, along with a few other officers arrested Michael Johnson, and he was 15 years old. When he was brought in, he was handcuffed to a chair and interrogated for eight straight hours. That would be so scary, because I'm almost that age, and... Uh, yeah, we established that yeah. at the beginning, <laughs> when Maggie couldn't I remember how old I was. Uh, yeah, that would be scary. Yeah, especially for eight hours. That's like a full school day. Yeah. 
That would be too much. I would just cry. I can't even stay awake in math class. Trying to stay <laughs> awake for eight hours while cops yeah. are like, Yelling I know you. that you did it. Just tell me. Jeez. Yeah. So they once again threatened him and said that if he didn't confess, then he could be prosecuted and possibly receive the death penalty if he didn't cooperate with them. They even told him that his friends already confessed to the cops that he is the one that shot Armando and Robert. And Detective Marquez even went so far as to tell Michael that he would be raped in jail if he didn't confess. So, that's really messed up. Yeah. Like, for someone to be like, well, you're going to be raped if you don't tell us what happened. I've, uh, I've never seen that anywhere. I've never heard of anyone, like, threaten them with that. That's not something you should threaten people with. That's like... And if know. you're a cop, isn't that, like, what you're supposed to, pre- like, prevent? Yeah, you, shouldn't you be pre- preventing you know people happens, being raped in jail? If you know that happens, maybe we should fix that? Yeah, obviously these detectives aren't doing their job. Because they're lying to him, too, because people, they keep telling everyone, oh, your friends told us that you did it, so you better just tell us, but they never, no one ever said that. Yeah, so. they're trying to get him to say he did it so it can be over. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Why can't detectives just do their jobs? <laughs> Like, I know there's good ones out there, but the ones in these stories suck. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. So, at this point, Michael then gave a statement saying that he was the one who shot Armando and Robert. This was the first of many false confessions from different people in this investigation. Michael Johnson was never charged, though, and Detective Marquez later acknowledged that the confession was false, but not that he ever coerced or threatened anyone that he interrogated. Sorry. Mackie just keeps backing away from the microphone to chomp on her bread. <laughs> How's that bread tasting? It's very lovely. I'm glad. I'm glad. So on April 21st, Detective Marquez brought in another teenager, David Rangel, who was 17. That's my age. Jeez. <laughs> I can't even imagine being brought in by the cops. I pass a cop when I'm driving and I'm like, ah, what did I do? I'm like, what if someone put like a gun in my car? And like all of the possible scenarios. The worst possible things. Yeah. So he once so detectives once again told David that others had said that he had been the shooter, and the detectives once again began the unethical police misconduct to try and get these kids to confess. Detective Marquez told him that if he didn't come clean, he would spend the rest of his life behind bars and be sexually assaulted because he was young and pretty. Uh-huh. Ew. That is a red flag. <laughs> especially, like, like, imagine you're in, especially a guy, like a Tell young, you a young, young a young guy teenager being like, you're young and pretty, you're gonna be sexually assaulted in jail, like, be I'd be like, I'd be like, I feel like you're gonna sexually assault me, you creep. <laughs> Like gosh. No need to go to jail. Yeah, right no here. need to go to jail. You're gonna be the one that does it. Gosh. Why is this guy so creepy? I don't even know what he looks like, but I can just like imagine this detective being like in like his picture, he's gonna be like smirking. <laughs> like that. I mean you guys can't see it, but they saw it, so that's all that matters. <laughs> that's a great smirk. <laughs> Thank you. So David's so obviously he was very creeped out. Like like one would be. So, he told Detective Marquez that his cousin, Daniel Villegas, had told him that he shot Armando and Robert with a sawed-off shotgun. So, I didn't know what a sawed-off shotgun was. I imagined... Okay, Stranger Things Season 4, uh, spoiler alert. 
Um, so don't listen if you don't want to hear it. I was thinking of the part of the volume four episode where Nancy saws off the edge of the shotgun. That's very illegal. Don't don't do that. But it's just it comes. There's shotguns that you can buy that have this like a. It's just a type of shotgun with a shorter barrel. Anyways, David was sure that Daniel was joking though, since he was only sixteen, and I guess he did that kind of thing regularly, like just kind of lying and bragging about things he didn't do, which I don't know. That's I don't know why people do that. There's really no need for it. Why would you brag about things you haven't done? Just to make you seem cooler, but, like, if you shot two people, I'd be like, get away from me, don't, that's not something that's cool. Not something you genuinely keep quiet, I feel like. Yeah, you know that's I mean? something you don't really talk like, to people about. that's not the thing to say to get in with the cool kids. Like, yeah, you're like, you're like, hey, cool kids, I shot two people, like, let's be friends. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know what he was thinking. Who knows? It was the 90s, it was a different time. Really, Maybe people do. were impressed by that kind of thing. Anyways... So, David wrote down a statement that included the gun type, the sawed-off shotgun, but then Detective Marquez made him write a separate statement that didn't include the gun type because the sawed-off shotgun wasn't the type of gun that was used in the shooting, so that part of his story was inconsistent and would have, like, proved that Daniel obviously didn't do this because the type of gun he said was used isn't the type of one that was actually used. Yeah. Anyways... So, David also said that Daniel was driving a black car and not a reddish or maroon car, like the survivors said that they saw. David also said that Daniel had chased Armando and shot him a second time, but there was no evidence of that either. The same day, Rodney Williams, who was 15, almost (laughs) the same as age as Mackie, lots of different people in the story, so hopefully you guys are all keeping this straight. Um, so Rodney Williams was brought in for questioning. A different detective interviewed him, besides Detective Marquez, and that detective said that, like, basically, hey, he doesn't really have any new information to offer, like, just let him go, he's good. He's good to go. Mm-hmm. Then Detective Scott Graves was like, let me, let me ask him some questions. So he took over interrogating him. And so when Detective Graves came in, Rodney was like, can I see my mom? Because I would want to see my mom, too. If I was 15 years old and being questioned by some police, I'd be like, I want my mom. (laughs) And he's a minor, so they really shouldn't even be interviewing him without parental consent, I feel like. Isn't that illegal? I think so. There's gotta be something. There's definitely something that, like, it's... Why? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Did they say... If you you can't... If you can't buy spray paint or a fish... When you're under 18, you shouldn't be able to get interviewed by police without parental consent. You can't buy a fish until you're 18. You can't even buy cold medicine until you're 18. Can you buy a puppy? I don't know. I just know that I went to Walgreens one time trying to buy cold medicine. And they and I was clearly sick, and they would not let me buy it. They're like, we need to see some ID. I'm like, I'm not trying to buy alcohol. I'm trying to get flu medicine. When... Because I guess you can get, like, higher off it. I don't know. <laughs> like, on Alexandra and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Yeah, when she drinks the whole bottle of cough syrup. Uh, when the guy asked to see his mom, did they say no? Yeah. Oh. They were like, no, you can't see her. Oh, Sorry. I would have been so sad. I know, I would have had, like, I would have had a meltdown. I would have been like, let me see my mommy. <laughs> I want to see my mommy. So, they refused, and... 
The interrogation lasted six straight hours. Rodney initially said to the first detective that him and Daniel weren't involved in the shooting and that they had been watching TV at their apartment. But Detective Graves told him that, hey, you're lying. Like, that's not actually what happened. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously you're lying. And, but he didn't really have any evidence to back up, like, his claim that they're lying. He's just kind of saying that. Mm -hmm. So he told Rodney that, hey, you're going to go to prison and be raped. But if you sign the statement that says Daniel did this, then you can just go home. Which, I'd be like, heck yeah, yeah, give give me me the pen. pen. (laughs) I'm like, give me that pen. I'll sign that baby now. But it's also like, why are you telling me I'm going to be raped in jail? What is with this all of threats. What is with you all of the threats of these freaking officers at the El Paso Police Department? Like, come on, guys. Oh, that's so scary. So he obviously signed it, like we said. <laughs> Williams said that he and Daniel went out on the night of April 9th with Fernando Luan, Marcus. Marcus Gonzalez and Enrique Ramirez, and I guess Enrique was driving a white sedan, which doesn't match the description given by survivors, obviously. So he said that they stole a case of beer from a gas station, and a little bit after midnight, they came upon the four young teenagers on Trans Mountain Road. So I just want to clarify, so it says that they went out on the night of April 9th, but the shooting was on April 10th. That's because the shooting was a little bit after midnight. Just in case anyone gets confused. Yeah. So they came upon the four young teenagers on Trans Mountain Road, just like the story goes. And he said that they exchanged a few words, and then then Daniel began to shoot out the back seat. Rodney said Daniel killed Robert first and then shot Armando in the back as he ran away. Rodney Williams was then charged with murder, but the charges were later dismissed for insufficient evidence. So, if he's not being charged with anything, then why are we like, yes, what this guy says goes. Like, this is obviously what happened, and, like, let's run with it. But he's not being charged because there's no evidence. <laughs> like, it, I don't know. It seems well off to me. Work. Exactly. So, at 10 p.m. on April 21st, Daniel Villegas was arrested at his home. Daniel was taken to the Juvenile Investigative Services Office, and he, like some of the previous people who were interrogated, were he was handcuffed to a chair and questioned. So, Detective Marquez threatened him and said he would take him to the desert and, quote, beat his... Beep! Yeah, exactly. And Daniel had never been interrogated by officers, like, like most, most people. people? <laughs> like most normal people, but... I mean, at this point, they've interrogated, like, all of his friends, so I guess it was only a matter of time. Down. <laughs> exactly. And he would later say that he was terrified out of his mind, like, like most people would be. So after hours of intense questioning, Daniel agreed to give a statement to try to get away from the terrifying situation he was in. Originally, Daniel said that Rodney Williams did the shooting, and then Detective Marquez slapped him across the face And told him that wasn't correct and that he would die in the electric chair if he didn't honestly confess. Obviously, this isn't legal. So, I don't know why there's slapping going on. (laughs) I mean, all the, uh, like, threats of rape and handcuffing people to chairs was a lot. But now there's slapping involved. So, 
it's honestly just going more downhill as we go along. <laughs> so during the next few hours, Detective Marquez and Daniel worked on his confession and he signed it. Which, can we talk about it? That they worked on it together? Like two buggies working on a homework assignment <laughs> or something? So just a few hours after that, um, after Daniel signed his confession, he recanted it. Basically saying, um... And I just signed that piece of, like, that legal document saying that I did this, but I actually didn't. He even told a juvenile probation officer that he didn't do it and that he had confessed because he was sick and tired of the police harassing him, which they were. But it was too late at that point. He already signed the legal document. His name was on it. It was tied to him. And he was charged with capital murder, which is, like, the worst type of murder you can be charged with. So, the first trial, and you'll notice that I say first, first of many, um, took place in December of 1994. He was represented by Jaime Olivas, I think that's how you say his name, all of the people who implicated that Daniel had been the shooter testified at trial that their statements that implicated Daniel were false and obtained through threats by police, obviously. Which is a little scary. Yeah, Exactly. Daniel testified at his own trial that Detective Marquez's interrogation tactics had been extremely threatening and brutal. Several other witnesses also said that Daniel could be easily persuaded and had a history of lying. So, a forensic psychiatrist determined that Daniel had emotional problems and possibly mental problems that would make him more susceptible to police interrogation and, like, pressure. The trial ended in a hung jury deadlocked at 11 to 1 in favor of conviction. So basically 11 of these people were like, 100%, yep, he killed those people, like, send him to jail. (laughs) (laughs) Right now. (laughs) Right now. And then one of them was like, nope, he didn't, he's innocent, and they would not change their mind. So they just kind of were like, yep, we can't decide. Sorry. So since the first trial ended in a mistrial... The second trial began in August of 1995. So this one is a real crap show. Um, Jaime Olivas offered to represent Daniel again, but that request was denied for whatever reason. I don't know. So only two months before the trial began, he was finally assigned an attorney named John Gates. So obviously this is only two months before trial begins. He had hardly, hardly any time to prepare And he didn't even ask the judge for a continuance, which he could have gone from the judge and be like, yo, I just got assigned to this case two months ago. I need more time. And the judge probably would have been like, yeah, dude, take all the time you need. Like, we'll reschedule for another time. Like, we'll take the rain check. I had no idea court was so relaxing. (laughs) Yeah, they use like, they're like, bro, don't even, don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. Anyways, so he only called one witness at trial. And this witness was a sharpshooter, so basically, like, one of those, like, FBI guys who, like, sits at the top of buildings and, like, with the guns and, like, can shoot from far away. Basically, I don't know how else to explain it. So the sharpshooter said that it would be hard to shoot the boys at the range and angle that Daniel suggested in his confession. In John Gates' closing statement, he even said that Daniel... Had no intention of killing anyone. He was just reckless. So basically, he's saying, he's like, 
Yeah, he did do it, but he's really sorry about it. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did kill those people, but he he's really sorry. He didn't mean to do it. Not the right. He's thing just to a say. little bit reckless. He's not in his right state of mind. I mean, I'm trying to trying to prove that he's innocent, but I basically just told you that he did it. He's just really sorry. <laughs> he's just like, re- what is really wrong with people? Like, that was three years of law school did not hit him very hard. <laughs> So, on August 24th, 1995, a jury convicted Daniel of capital murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. So, Daniel continued to appeal his conviction many times on the grounds of ineffective counsel, obviously, because his last lawyer did a... Yes, his last lawyer did a crap job. And throughout these appeals, the judge found that there was actually new evidence of innocence, So, according to the University of Michigan Law School National Registry of Exonerations, um, it says, quote, Early in the investigation, police had interviewed Rudy and Javier Flores, two brothers who knew England and Lazo, meaning Robert and Armando. Javier Flores, who was 20, and Armando Lazo had fought at school. Rudy Flores, who was 15, Mackie's almost age. (laughs) Had gotten in a heated argument with Robert England and Armando Lazo at a party two weeks before the shooting, and they even threatened to kill Armando. So, and he died a few weeks later. Kind of suspicious. Anyways, so it also says, in addition, Javier Flores' car, which Rudy occasionally drove, was similar to the one described by Medina Antonendez. And he was seen just a few hours later, after the shooting, firing a twenty-two caliber gun. Officers responded to that shooting and confiscated the weapon, but the ballistics tests were never released. Despite these leads and others, Marquez and the other officers dismissed the Flores brothers as suspects. Yay! I mean, okay, so give me give me thoughts on these two like obvious suspects. What do we? What do you think? First of all, they had the car matching it, and they were found in another shooting the night after. No, or, like I hours mean the after. Same, I mean the same the same night. Day. So yeah. I think that's a little bit suspicious. It's, I think it's pretty clear who what did happened it. because all the other suspects, the car doesn't match, but these people at another shooting and the same car. I think it's pretty safe to say who did it at this. Yeah, point. like how many people are driving cars around shooting? Well. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> El Paso, Texas is supposed to be one of the safest cities in the United States. Like so it. I think it would be safe to say that there's not two separate people in similar cars going around shooting people at the exact same time of night. Or yeah. early in the morning, I guess, if it happened after midnight. Yeah. So why we dismiss dismiss these guys? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like you can obviously it's, I think it's pretty obvious. Maybe that's just us, though. But I'm sure it's not. <laughs> so, on the so on the grounds of, like, these two other guys probably did it, uh, Daniel was granted a new trial. So, the third trial began on October 1st, 2018, and Daniel rejected an Alfred plea that was offered to him that would have allowed him to remain out of prison. So, basically, when Alfred plea is... Um, it's a guilty plea, so they're basically saying, I'm guilty, but the defendant is like, "Eh, I'm actually innocent, but they say, like, if they were to go to trial, the case would likely result in a guilty verdict. Yeah. 
So does that make sense? Like they're like, I'm innocent, but if I go to trial, they might find me guilty. Yeah. I'm not really going to take the chance. I'll just say I'm guilty yeah. type thing. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So this time around, the confession was thrown out, so it couldn't be used, which the state relied heavily on Daniel's confession the first two times around. So they mostly relied on this time around on testimony that wasn't super reliable and consistent from other witnesses. So after all the trial happened, the jury deliberated for a total of eight hours over the span of two days and found him not guilty. Yay! Let's have a little less clap. Yay! So, after 23 years, 6 months, and 11 days in prison, Daniel was finally released. So, Daniel filed a lawsuit. What a guy. Is that what you said? Poor guy. Oh, poor guy. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) sad. 23 years of your life. He was in prison or jail. Was he in prison or jail? Prison. Prison for 23 years for nothing. Six months and 11 days for nothing. Where did I get 23 years? What do you mean? She I asked if he... Three years, six months, and 11 days. Yeah, that's oh. how long he was in jail. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so he went in when he was... He was 16 or 17? And 23 sure years later? That there... would make him 40 years old. Uh, and I'm sure the people in there were not kind. No, oh, yeah, can you imagine? Gosh. I mean, especially where the cops are like, you're going to be raped and sexually assaulted. I'm thought, sure that's something that happens then. if you were underage like that, don't you go to juvie? You can go to juvie unless, unless sometimes they bad. can try you as an adult if it's like something really bad. Oh. So who knows if they, th- or, or they might have waited. I don't know if he was seven, 16 or 17 at trial, but if he was 18, then they would have the treated it. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. So, Daniel filed a civil lawsuit in 2015 against the city of El Paso and several of the police officers, including Detective Marquez and Detective Gates, for violating his civil rights. And as far as all of the sources I found, um, I couldn't find a lot of information on what's happening with the lawsuit, so I'm going to assume it's still pending and nothing's really happening with it. So today, Daniel is living and working as a construction foreman in El Paso, and he and his family still fight for other wrongfully convicted citizens. So obviously, this is a really sad, horrible thing, and I always like to kind of remember the victims because it's more about them than it is about anyone who spent 23 years in jail because obviously they weren't able to live out the rest of their lives. So, Armando Lazo was a lifelong resident of El Paso and was a student at Andrus High School. Robert England, who was referred to as Bobby, was also a student at Andrus High School and was 18 years old. Unfortunately, there isn't much other information on them since they were so young and this took place so long ago. A lot of information isn't on the internet anymore or will never be. And that is the story of the 1993 El Paso shootings and the wrongful conviction of Daniel Villegas. What do you guys think? This is our second time recording this because my phone, which is recording this at the moment, died at the very end last time. So (laughs) they're not, (laughs) yeah, right about at this point it died. So they're not very surprised about anything that I've said. But they did great acting that he's like, what? Okay, so give me give me some after story thoughts that we weren't able to give last time. Um, 
Let me think. There's, like, a lot going on. Like, every five seconds, there's somebody new being, like, accused and, like, anyway, so I thought that was crazy. But it doesn't make sense to me why they were, like, accusing the people in the first place when their car didn't even match the description. I felt like a lot of it could have been Mm -hmm. skipped if it was, like, handled better. Yeah, they didn't really have, like, a ton of evidence when bringing these people in. They just kind of brought them in for the heck of it. I feel like they were just trying to get it done with so that everyone in, like, their little town could go back to feeling, like, safe and, like, not having to worry about it. Yeah. I feel like they were trying to get it over. Kevin, thoughts? I just think it's interesting that the detectives acted like they knew what happened. When they didn't. Yeah, and they'd, like, force them into signing the confessions and all that, but... Yeah, they, like, drove two of them into being like, yep, or three of them. That one kid who signed it, and then they were like, actually, that was false. And then then the other guy, and then Daniel. Like, if you're drawing separate confessions out of three different people for the same thing, obviously there's something going on. I don't remember if you said this or not, but why did they shoot them? Did did they just shoot them to shoot them? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was just, like, because they never really... Found, they, had, like, they never really arrested anyone else for it. Yeah. So I, we might not know why. Yeah. Just like I don't, someone horrible that, is so that decided was like, I want to shoot someone. So messed up. Why do people do that? Like, uh, I don't know. That's not crazy. in their right mind, I guess. Any other thoughts before we I think close out? I'm good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. As always, I'll have pictures up on the Instagram um, probably not of all the people that are involved, because obviously there's are bringing in, like, a new person, but, like, the main people, there will be pictures up on our Instagram. Um, the Instagram is at, but did they do it pod, and I actually just started a TikTok. I was with Camden when I started it. I was like, should I start a TikTok? And she was like, yes. The TikTok is also at, but did they do it pod, so hopefully I get some ideas for TikToks on there soon. And, yeah, I think that's all I have to say. Um, we'll be back. Well, we won't be back next week. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. This is, this is a one-time deal, so you guys better enjoy them while they're here. Um, but don't forget to tune in next week for a brand new episode, and I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Do you want to say bye? Bye. Toodles. Toodles. (laughs) Okay, bye guys.